Hello, welcome to the New Rights 911 podcast. I'm your host, Raj Jeter, studying history at Indian University East. I'm a passionate learner of many subjects and I'm always curious and ready to explore the exciting discipline of history. This podcast was created as part of a history course at IU East. This class, by the same title, explored major themes in U.S. history, the 1960s to the early 2000s. In this episode, I invite you to explore the world of Black Rotation Cinema with me, where we will be honing in on the 1975 film, Cooley High, to better understand the impact that this black exploitation film had on African-American communities, Black cinema, and realism of the social and racial issues within the American society depicted then, prevalent to today. So what is exploitation? Well, while exploitation films were at their peak from 1964 to 1973, these films continued to be made up until the early 21st century. exploitation addressed social and racial issues without sugarcoating the reality of living as a Black American in the 20th century. They played on the stereotypes associated with the Black man or woman, including drugs, pimping, prostitution, and the mad Black woman. They focused on gender, sexuality, violence, race, beauty, and representation in common topics during their time. There were highly patriarchal films where a leading man, a black man, smooth, a slick talker, a smooth walker, he always comes out on top, but also was the one that got the girl. Additionally, women characters would almost always end up in dress, intermixing sexuality and the concept of black beauty. Well, prior to these films, black folks were rarely ever seen on the mainstream television. But as black directed films featuring black actors rose and roles became flexible, so did the hope that things were looking up for them. The genre resonated with working, middle-class black folks, but was also watched by whites too. These films became known as either soft porn or explicit content, but masterpieces of their time. Popular titles include Shaft, a 1971 film directed by Gordon Parks, Blackula, a 1972 film directed by William Crane, and Cooley High, directed by Michael Schultz and written by Eric Monte. Before we dive into this film, we must explore the development of Edwin G. Cooley Vocational High School in 1958 up until its demolition in 1981. Let's begin. Edwin G. Cooley Vocational High School. Cooley High, the film, was set in Chicago of 1964, which is an important year. Why? Well, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which not only fought for Blacks to have the right to vote, but also human rights, the right to be treated and respected as a human being. It was also the year Malcolm X spoke of his departure from the Nation of Islam, before he was assassinated in 1965. Cooley High was founded in the Old Town neighborhood, an historic area near the north side of Chicago, Illinois. Here, some of the most popular attractions surround Old Town, like the Lincoln Park Zoo, Gold Coast, and the Cabrini Green neighborhood. All shown in the film, by the way. Cabrini Green were public housing developments comprised of Francis Cabrini Row Houses, which were built in 1942, following the Cabrini extensions built after in 1957, and the William Green homes built lastly in 1962. The Francis Cabrini Row Houses were part of a wartime housing project meant to provide homes for workers during World War II. 
Um, before its construction, the spaces were populated by immigrants of Irish, Puerto Rican, and Italian descent. Cabrini Green also became a home to Japanese-American survivors of internment camps. In 1942, the Francis Cabrini Row House was dedicated to an Italian-American nun, oh, and a saint of immigrants, Mother Frances F. Cabrini, was first built for that purpose. However, due to poor planning, construction, and continued neglect, the Cabrini Green neighborhood became a haven for crime, violence, gang violence, poverty, and unpleasant conditions. Years passed the end of its construction in 1962, and the neighborhood was comprised of majority blacks at this time. What was supposed to be a wartime project became an effort of ethnic cleansing and the projects within Cabrini. Mayor Daly's efforts to revive the public housing developments didn't succeed. And the demolition of the public housing complex, which began in 1955, continued until 2011, leading only the initial two-story row houses to this day. So next we're gonna talk about why is this important? Let's see. So why is this important? Location Cooley High is crucial in understanding the significance of this particular black rotation film. Without this knowledge, it would be harder to comprehend the impact of this film. However, we're not here to talk about Cabrini Green. As mentioned in the introduction, I want to first talk about the key Cooley High scenes. To better understand the impact that they had on African-American communities. And next, how this film portrayed African-Americans during this time while emphasizing the depicted racial stereotypes. And lastly, we will wrap up by talking why this film is important. Why should we care? I encourage listeners to watch the film, publicly available on YouTube and Amazon Prime Video. And if any questions or interests arise from this podcast, I encourage additional research. Now, we're gonna move on to a brief synopsis of the film to better grasp what the film is about. Let's begin. explores the life in the projects as teenagers, Preach, Cochise, Pooter, and many other characters navigate the 20th century Chicago Black experience. They demonstrate the value of brotherly love and friendships as they experience the good times and hardships together. It's a coming-of-age film as they find their aspirations, dreams beyond adolescence. Through the Black experience shown in the film, we see the choices made, and how these choices impact the characters in different ways. One of the key scenes begins by introducing the school title, the Edwin Gilbert Cooley Vocational High School. This is a school built in 1958 that served 7th and 12th graders. But similar to Cabrini, the construction was poorly planned. In the early stages of its opening, the white student population was the majority. Around 1964, from when the film was set, the black student population increased drastically, making up the majority of the Cooley High student body. The school had poor attendance rates, a low academic performance, and high dropout rates. 
making the school one of the poorest performing educational spaces. In 1979, the school was no longer serving students. And in 1981, Edwin Gilbert Cooley Vocational High School was demolished. So, while watching the scene, I observed the architecture, a communal dwellings, the desolate alleyways, and echoes of police sirens in the background, surrounding the school. I began to sense an unnamed vibe that speaks, the school is home to majority black students. In the following scene, set in the classroom, the students, all black with a large ratio of male than female, sit at their desk in a classroom that, to the viewer, lacks an attraction and motivational learning space. It reminds me of detention or providing some form of disciplinary measures. A white teacher introduces the Cooley High Code of Conduct, encouraging students to follow along in the reciting. Now, this scene does a good job at demonstrating gentrification. How? Well, historically, most of the students who attended Cooley High had lived in poor areas, especially in the Cabrini-Green dealings. Keeping this in mind, I can observe this scene as an effort of gentrification presented by the white teacher, who is dressed in an attire that separates her from her students. She resembles an idea of a model figure or someone of accessible character. Her attire and presence alone incurs a separation, setting a line where only she can cross over, commanding blacks to stay where they are. So while they recite the code of conduct, a guideline of what not to do, how students ought to act, it sends a message that their character is permanently flawed, all while masking the stereotypical messages. And the teacher recites, we will show respect to all property and authority figures to not solely the name of Cooley High. We are honest. We will not board transportation services illegally. All while she's saying this, the students are following along. But she directs it away from her towards the black students following along. In other words, they are really saying that black people are not civil. We destroy things. We are unclean. We are dishonest. And we are lawbreakers. All from the name of the Cooley High Code of Conduct. So, after Preach, played by Glenn Turman, Pooter, played by Corin Rogers, and Cochise, played by Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, and another friend sneak out of class, they are sometimes seen with Tyrone, played by Joseph Carter Wilson, too. They all end up violating every rule of code of conduct, basically saying, screw your shady-ass codes. They fake a nosebleed, lying to the teacher, and they hitch a ride to the Lincoln Park Zoo by jumping onto the rear end of the study bus to gain access to the transportation illegally. They do this and many other tricks and escapades. In this next section, titled, What About the Characters? We're going to talk more about, you guessed it, the characters. And we'll get a sense of the personalities and and how they're portrayed in the film. Let's start. In the film, Cochise is presented as laid back, comical and very outgoing. He aspires to be a fastball player. I see this mentioned in a few ways throughout the film. I first noticed this during the scene set at the basketball court near Lincoln Park. The court that appears to have been neglecting graffiti and is missing a basketball net with the hoop rim still intact. 
Despite this, a group of four or five black men comparatively make their way across the court while making waves and trying to get the ball in hoop after hoop. Now by this time, Cochise, Preacher, and Poodle arrive on the scene. Cochise makes his one-handed shot to the hoop. Then I sense a playful solidarity among them that towards a white person would probably be non-existent. In the next scene, Cochise awaits the letter. Now, judging by his anxious demeanor, as rummages to the mail, the cabinets, the letter must be important. He finds the letter damp from the toilet. By now, it becomes clear by his nonverbal expressions that Cochise has some good news. He has been awarded a scholarship. paints a different picture. Preach is presented as a go-getter, sensitive at times, yet fun to conversate with. Preach and Cochise together become the life of the party in many ways. He aspires to be a poet, you know. In the film, a group consisting of Stone, Robert, and two others, including Cochise, come across his diaries. Except for Cochise at first, the others laugh and belittle Preach's desires to be something more than the expectations of others. Now, he's clearly upset at the violation of privacy, and belittlement his friends show towards him. So, Preach defends his words, and he says, You guys think it's so funny because I want to be something besides a factory worker or a football player. He says this with so much emotion. I think this quote does a great job at painting the expectations of the black man within the black community in 20th century America. The desire to do more, to do what one enjoys, and have big goals are often ignored or inaccessible. Instead, as these opportunities pass, the ones that provide security, more money, fast money, and put food on the table are picked up. Moreover, to a black man in 20th century Chicago, the struggle is real. But what about the black woman? What about the black woman? Well, throughout the scene, black women were shown as having no ambitions. They were the prostitute, the one that gazes at the boys. And to the boys, they were the easy ones. The boys played on that with lies while breaking the heart and self-esteem of many. But there's another representation of how women were perceived in the film. Characters like Miss Martha or Peach's mom are seen coming home, clearly exhausted after working long hours. Or take Miss Martha, standing over a hot stove, working nonstop. So attributes like hard worker, or ambitious, or even the breadwinner of the family. In the film, black men are portrayed as gamblers, thieves, drug users, and womanizers. The list goes on. However, I observe that their freedom is larger than the black woman, that they are able to get away with certain choices through deception and survival techniques. This idea becomes challenged after a night out of four in a Cadillac. At first, unknown to Preach and Cochise, the vehicle was stolen. This would trigger a series of events that would impact them, these characters, for the rest of their lives. Preach takes the driver's seat, swaying and driving out of sorts. Then... As they arrive at the stoplight, 
a blue and white police car pulls up alongside them, with two white cops peering in the front in suspicion. Not wanting to go to jail, one of the friends among the group, sitting in the passenger seat, steps on the gas, ultimately signaling a high-speed chase. So Preach and Stone, Robert, and Cochise are all aware by now that there is no turning back. The group take the risk, and they're able to flee without getting caught. But on the day of final exams, and many scenes later, two detectives come to arrest the four men responsible. They are put in separate interrogation rooms to prevent them from collaborating stories. Now, as this happens, the stories of each begin to unravel. Later, we find that Cochise and Preach are spared, but their troubles are far from over. next section titled High Yellow and the Black Identity. In this section, we'll explore more about the characters not mentioned yet, and how their personalities and relationships give off a certain nuance that I think gives the film its color. Let's keep going. High Yellow and the Black Identity. Now, in the film, I notice different shades of black among the many characters. As the interactions unfold, the personalities within the black communities become harder to recognize. In a few scenes where Pooter, a light brown skin, is treated as an outlier among the group. He often sits himself and is seen as a child to be excluded from explicit places. In this regard, he is also viewed as a cherished sibling or younger brother. In the scene set at the movie theater, he tries to find a seat, saying excuse me's and I'm sorry's along the process as the others shout with irritation and shout him to the back row. Despite this, I notice that he's a valued friend, and is often seen interacting with Cochise, Preach, and Tyrone, which would refine the importance of brotherhood. Dorothy, of darker shade, is demonstrated as outspoken, talkative, but easy to talk to person, especially when Cochise is around. Now, she... Seems to have a good relationship with Cochise and Preach as they're able to joke and laugh things off. And overall, Dorothy is just a really overall neat character. <laughs> Brenda, played by Cynthia Davis, nicknamed High Yellow in the film. Why? Well, we'll get to that. She's portrayed as confident, guarded, and comes across as superior to those around her. Yet, as I follow along the film, as it reveals more about her character, she is viewed as considerate, ambitious, and one fond of poetry. I wondered throughout the scenes if maybe her guarded experience was a defense mechanism that helped her navigate life as a black woman in 1964 of Chicago. She is nicknamed High Yellow by the men around her because of her light-skinned yellowish tones, often assumed of both black and white ancestry. From these different personalities, I observed the solidarity within the community. The notion of who is black or who isn't doesn't make a difference to them. And the characters... I mean, Pooter, Cochise, Preach, Brenda, and all the new characters share their struggles together without contempt nor shame of their blackness. Well, I noticed certain characters like Martha, played by Miss Juanita McConnell, is portrayed as a mother of the community. 
at a popular hangout stop with a casual nuance where black students, sisters, brothers all gather. This place is viewed as a safe space. And Miss Martha is really responsible for that. I noticed Martha standing over the stove, serving up home-cooked meals. She also is seen as the enforcer. She knows things. There isn't anything that goes on without an establishment that she wouldn't know about or she couldn't find out about. And it's really comforting to see her as a role model to the youth there. So why does this feel important? Why should we care? Well, let's find out. This has been fun, but now it's time to wrap up this episode. So please join me as we talk about why this film is important and why should we care about Cooley High. In this part, we'll reflect and pull out some major points that really resonated or stood out from the group. All right, let's begin. Cooley High demonstrated gender roles, racial identities, and social issues in 1964. It also gave insight on how being an adolescent during that time in that location impacted the black identity. From the film, the black identity during the 20th century was filled with stereotypes, yet encouraged me to look beneath the surface. Whereas some other black films, like Shafts, where racism, identity, and gender seem to be demonstrated in a more direct fashion, with fast, action-packed scenes. I felt that Cooley High was different in that regard. I had to analyze closely to find the different messages hidden within the film, because elements of exploitation were not always bluntly shown. The film was released in 1975, which is neat because it gave me perspective from a decade later of the life of the black man or woman during 1964. Moreover, it helped me better understand how the idea of black identity has changed since then. While allowing me to broaden my perspectives on how blackness can be viewed, this film inspired me to ask questions like what it meant to live as a black individual in the 20th century. I gained newfound respect for Cooley High because the echoes from the film still linger today, forcing all of us to confront the past and our present to better move forward. Well, again, I encourage you to watch the film and this impressive adaption of Chicago's historical spaces. I'm your host, Raj Dieter, and thank you for listening to my podcast episode. Bye.